Welcome to the Rise Method podcast, where we make fitness information available to everyone. I'm Steve. Let's jump in. Hey, folks. Steve here. Welcome back to the Rise Method podcast. I'm flying solo again today. So, this is going to be me and you, and we're going to be chatting about a few questions. So, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, a little bit less banter between uh, Coach Nick and myself. But if you've listened to some solo episodes in the past, I do love a good banter with myself, right? So team, we are in week nine of the Rise Method Challenge, the very first Rise Method Challenge, very first 10-week challenge. Now, looking forward into the future, we are planning the next round to be a six-week challenge. From So from our experience with the Max and Maxine Challenge and the M Challenge, and now with the Rise Method, we have found that that six-week challenge is a nice kind of short window that we can focus on one goal, focus on a target, focus on a short period of time, focus on improving ourselves. We might have a short break and then go for another six weeks. So it works really well in what this concept called like a, a meso cycle is within training. So we're training for maybe four to six weeks and then we might modify our program slightly, maybe modify um, our goal and then continue on. So we're looking at six-week blocks moving forward. Now, if you're keeping up in the loop and maybe seeing some of the whispers and the hints that we've been dropping around, we are looking at releasing a, a new app for the Rise Method, a new app which is hosted on a platform called Trainerize, and uh, we are looking at our own custom apps. It's going to be our branding. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really cool, really excited. We're going to have the training plans, meal plans. We're going to have groups. We're going to have some challenges and some fun stuff inside the app as well. So over the next few days, we are going to be launching a free trial, a free trial, seven-day trial. We're going to call it the Kickstart Challenge. Seven days, you can jump into the app. You can play around with it. You can um, track your meals. You can follow the meal plans. You can trial some of the training programs. You can trial some of the workouts that we have built into there joining the community that we have um, growing in there. So you you can have access to that in the next couple of days. It's going to be really cool, really exciting. But before we think about the future, we're going to think about now, the now, the last two weeks of the Rise Method Challenge. And from what we're seeing online, many of us are really incorporating this longevity, this long-term approach to fitness within the Rise Method. So in the past, when we're focusing on this really big result, this really big competition, this really big six or 12 week challenge, um, we find that folks go to the extremes where we're doing extreme dieting, um, extreme manipulation of water and salt and things like that just for a photo, which is ultimately just unhealthy. Um, and as actually is, it results in a negative effect to our fitness. So folks that are uh, dieting for competitions, let's say Coach Nick, she is reducing her fitness capacity over time so that she can perform in this competition, which is great, which is fine. It's for the competition, um, but it does actually create a little bit of a roadblock and a bit of a speed hump even slows us down on our long-term fitness journey. Uh, so within the RISE method, we're really hoping that you encompass this longevity approach, which is one of our principles. And we're seeing that within the RISE method. So thank you for joining us. Um, and we're going to jump into some, some sweet questions this week. So first question was a question that came out of the forum and I'm just going to read the question in its entirety and you can take a moment just to reflect and think about how we're going to answer this. Now, um, this first one comes from Tanya. Now, Tanya is actually one of our all-stars of the week. So Tanya, 10 points to her. She goes, hi, Steve. And I'll say hi, Tanya. As you know, I've been testing over pickleball. Now, pickleball is really cool. It's one of the fastest growing sports in the US, right next to spikeball. Sorts of uh, ball sports <laughs> happening right now. Pickleball, imagine it's um, kind of like tennis mixed with table tennis, mixed with like badminton. You play on like kind of a badminton style co uh, court with a net. You have like a kind of a paddle as like a racket and then you have a ball, but the ball has like kind of holes in it. So it's like one of those hollow balls and you can play. Um, and it's described as a really social sport because you're really close to each other. 
and it's got a really low skill acquisition. So lots of folks can, can enter and play competitively without spending hours learning how to, you know, hit the tennis ball or to hit the ball with, or, or bowl the ball in cricket or something like that. You could play very quickly. It's a really cool sport. So pickle sport, uh, she goes, as you know, I'm obsessing over my new joy in pickle sport in addition to my first love of strength training. I usually finish my gym at the gym around 9.30 and pickleball starts at 10.30 for two hours. My Fitbit tells me that pickleball is mostly in the fat burning range with only minutes here and there into the cardio zone. So my question is, is one hour enough rest time between the two so as not to ruin my hard work in the gym or is there a magic rest time period that I should adhere to? Thank you, Tanya. Okay. So let's take a moment. We'll reflect on this question. How are we going to approach Tanya's question here. So it sounds like she's going to the gym. She's finishing up at 9.30. So maybe she's entering the gym at like 8.30 or so. So she's training for, let's say, an hour, just to fill in the blanks of what she might not have told us. So she's training for an hour. And then at 9.30, she finishes up. 10.30, pickleball starts. And she's there for two hours. So she finishes up at 12.30. So she's going from about 8.30, training, a uh, little break, two hours training. And then we get to 12.30. And then what do we do? So sounds like uh, she is doing lots of activity, firstly which is awesome. You know, if we're doing things that we love, that's great. Ticking all the boxes. We're strength training, we're doing some sports, social environment, some cardio element to it, some fat burning zone, that doesn't really matter, but we're doing activities that we like. So that's the first kind of big rock we need to appreciate is that, hey, doing something you love, let's focus on doing the things we love. It was really easy for us to come in and go, well, you gotta cut things back, it's too much. It's very easy to say that, but that's not really uh, promoting health if we're saying you gotta cut back on activity. You gotta love to do these activities. So let's focus on that. The next thing is that there's no magic rest time. It all really depends on the intensity and the volume. So let's put it on one extreme. Let's say you did a you know two hour leg session um, with with me and maybe your favorite bodybuilder or influencer model type person. So you know those three of us we're training and we're pushing you to the limits. You know we're pushing you really hard in that two hour leg session. So you can't say that after that session. It equals the same session you're normally having and that would equal the exact same rest. So if you rested for an hour after our two hour leg grueling session versus an hour of, you know, let's say an upper body session or something, that hour isn't a magic number saying, hey, you know, you need to rest for an hour or two hours or six hours or 24 hours. It all depends on the intensity and the volume. So how long that session is um, and then how intense that session is. So it all really depends. Then there's the other factors such as things like our overall health, our overall fitness, you know, things like our age, our genetics, maybe things like our nutrition component leading up to the event as to how well we can recover. So let's say if, if I was, you know, 20 again, you know, I'm 30 right now. So if I was 20 again, uh, and you know, everything lined up in a row, I was uh, perfect nutrition, perfect sleep, perfect health, perfect, perfect fitness. And I trained for an hour or two, and then I wanted to short rest and then go and play, you know, footy with my friends or something. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I might be able to make that work, but as I age, things might get a little bit different. So there's some factors to consider. Now, if we're training for a long bout of time, um, we need to consider our nutrition delivery. That's the main priority we're trying to do. How are we going to get the fuel to our body so that we can maintain this uh, activity and then also kickstart the recovery time? So when it comes to things like straight cardio versus weights, and there is that conversation of, well, you know, don't get your weights and your cardio close together. 
Yeah, so if you're doing strength training and you're doing some cardio training, let's say strength training, lifting some weights and some cardio, you're going for a walk on a treadmill, it's not wise to do like the cardio first because if you're walking on the treadmill or on a bike or running or doing some uh, hit workout or something and then you go to try to lift weights, there's a direct interference effect. You're tired from cardio and you won't be able to lift as much when you're doing some weights. Whereas if we did the other way around, we go into the gym when we're fresh and early, we're doing some strength training and then we do some cardio, it's a little bit of a better link up because cardio, we can be at a slightly fatigued level and we can maintain this cardio element where we're training our cardiovascular system. That's the main part in the cardiovascular world. So we can marry up our cardio after strength training. The limitation is that after the strength training, we're just delaying our delivery of nutrition. So the delivery of protein, delivery of carbohydrate, delivery of water and hydration to the body so that we can recover. So the longer we do delay that, the longer our recovery period um, and ultimately the less muscle protein synthesis that can occur, muscle growth happening. Now, there is some element of the cardio effect after strength training where it does help to reduce inflammation. The problem with that is that we need some inflammation to grow muscle. There's a very close link between the inflammation and muscle growth. So if we start to remove some of that um, inflammation and the pump and everything, uh, that can reduce the overall uh, effect of strength training. But these are all the one percenters. You know, if you were about to step on stage bodybuilder, we'd be like, hey, bro, broette, let's think about these things. So when we think about pickleball, we do have this element of cardio vibes where we are moving the body. We might be flushing out some of that inflammation, but if we are training from 8.30 to 9.30, then an hour break and then two hours of training, we're now not getting uh, any food into us to at least, you know, 12.30, but I'm sure you're not leaving the court and then you're munching away at a, a sandwich and a protein shake and uh, I don't know, a bit of chicken. You're probably going to be driving home, maybe having a shower because you haven't, uh, you know, showered after three hours of training, and then you probably eat something, you know, one one thirty-two. So now we're looking at this lunchtime being delayed, so we're just delaying our nutrition. So the main priority you want to do is to find some food in between that window. So in between the eight thirty nine thirty, so so that nine thirty till ten thirty window is when we want to try to find some food. Question is, what do we eat? The main things we're looking for is one, carbohydrate, and two, protein, plus or minus fat. Fat's not too too important, but we want a source of carbohydrate and a bolus of protein, so we keep on going. What does that look like? That could be you know, a sandwich, that could be some chicken and rice, that could be some oats with protein powder, it could be a protein shake with some fruit. So there's a few ways we can approach it. This is a really great time to think about some of the products that are marketed as sports products. So things like Gatorade, right? So these are carbohydrate drinks. So if you are seeing that going, oh, well, I just exercised, my belly's a little bit twisty turning, I'm gonna go exercise again, what do I have? Okay, how about we look at some of these sports drinks so you can get some carbohydrates, some fluid into you as well, some electrolytes, all these good stuff, and then maybe a source of protein and space it out over that hour period so that we can hydrate ourselves, get some fuel into our body. The problem might be, when are we having breakfast? So if you're having breakfast at quarter past eight and you go train at 8.30 and then you want to eat again at 9.30, okay, you might not be hungry. So this is where we might need to think bigger and go, okay, how could I have my breakfast a little bit earlier, let's say 6.37, train, and then have another smaller meal, maybe a snack where we're having some carbohydrate and some protein around that 9.30, 10 o'clock mark. And then we're ready for pickleball at 10.30 until 12.30. 
So that's how we could approach it. And you might find that you'll feel a little bit better when you're playing pickleball. You might be more alert, more active, more um, competitive in that sport. And then you're not feeling the effects too much of your strength training session. And then you're also kind of kickstarting that strength training session recovery. So you're ready for the next bout of activity, which ultimately means that you get to do the things you love, where you get to continue strength training. So your next session might be in a day or two, and you can continue with pickleball, which might be again in another day or two, because you don't want to be so tired from all this activity that you can't do it again. So this strategy is ultimately to keep you on the court and keep you on the gym doing the things you love to do. So team, we're on to the next question here. Next question is from uh, Christine. And Christine writes, is six minutes of high intensity cardio workout per day effective in gaining cardiovascular fitness improvements? Or is it better to do longer workouts over less days? Or does it, does it even out? I understand there will be many, it depends, <laughs> yeah, um, but your general opinion. This is in addition to four days a week of strength training. Okay. So the question is, is a six minute bout of high intensity cardio workouts, maybe like a hit session, maybe like Tabata, Tabata is usually a four minute workout, so maybe like a six minute workout, effective for gaining cardiovascular fitness improvements? Okay. Now. The main it depends is what's your definition of cardiovascular fitness improvements? So is it just cardio fitness for life, you know, just for heart health um, so that I can walk up the stairs and play with my kids and, you know, go for a walk with my dog? Is it that type of fitness or is it fitness for a sporting event? Maybe you want to go play pickleball like Tanya is and you want to improve your cardiovascular fitness. So that's the kind of the first thing we want to consider is what's that definition? Because if it's just cardio for life, that's really quite straightforward. You know, you get a lot of um, actual cardiovascular training through strength training because your heart, of course, is pumping. And when you're doing uh, strength training, it is kind of high intensity interval training because you're doing training for, you know, 30 seconds or, or a minute, depending on how, how many reps you do. And then you're usually resting for one, two, three minutes and you're doing it again. So it's high intervals of, of training. So we can get some cardiovascular training through weightlifting, through strength training. And then if we include that with our daily step counts, so we're aiming to get, let's say 10,000 steps a day, we know that we see some really great effects in um, overall health improvements, uh, massive decrease in all cause mortality rates um, and really good heart health improvements as well, just from getting our steps. So we can say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, you don't need to, if you don't want to, you can get some really great cardio fitness improvements just from doing strength training four days a week, plus aiming to get um, a, an appropriate and okay step count, of, let's say 10,000 steps per day. So that's the first thing that we can appreciate. Now, when we look at different types of cardio training, we can look at the energy systems that are being trained. So look at it on, on a spectrum. One side of the spectrum is someone who's doing a sprint, you know, let's say Usain Bolt, um, a thousand, uh, a <laughs> hundred meter sprint. On the other side is a marathon runner, let's say like Elijah, um, who holds the record for the fastest marathon, just, just over, just under maybe two hours. So think about those two energy systems. One is using a very short bursting energy system and the other one is very long-term energy system. And the fancy words on that is on the short-term sprinting is what we call the anaerobic energy system. So the energy system that doesn't require oxygen, so anaerobic. Um, and then on the other side, complete other side is what we call the oxidative or aerobic energy system, which requires oxygen. Um, and that is what actually metabolites the 
uses up the most fat as energy. So when we're walking things, that requires lots of fat as fuel. Um, so that's that aerobic energy system. But that is a, just a different conversation around using energy versus um, actually net loss in those substances. So we can use fat as fuel, but that doesn't mean that we have a net decrease in fats over, overall, but that is a whole other podcast in itself. I digress. Now, in between those two systems, the anaerobic and aerobic system is the glycolytic um, or lactic energy system. Um, and if we space that out, so the aerobic is usually that first maybe 10, 20 seconds of exercise and it starts to decrease, then the glycolytic uh, lactic acid system comes on and that's maybe like one or two minutes. Um, and then we move into the aerobic energy system, which is sustained. So that might be a marathon run. The glycolytic might be like a 400 meter run uh, around, a, around a track. And then the um, anaerobic system would likely be the um, like ATP kind of kind of system there. And that uh, ATP is where uh, creatine kind of plays a part in. And that's what we train a lot when we're doing strength training. So when we're looking at, let's say that six minute high intensity cardio workout, that's kind of in the middle and then onto the oxidative system. So we're, we're looking at that glycolytic uh, lactic system and then we're transferring into the um, aerobic system. So the question of course is, can we sustain the high intensity for six minutes? <sighs> that, it's unlikely because that energy system that we're using, which is that glycolytic, is for that maybe 400 meter sprint. And then we kind of transition into this kind of like marathon runner pace. So that high intensity kind of would end up to be like maybe a medium intensity of training over that six minute period. Of course, if we're doing like hit, it might be some more intervals. And then we go, is it six minutes or is it really two minutes of working out and then standing around for four minutes? That's other conversations to be had. If the goal was for more, let's say, sports-specific outcomes, so we're doing this cardio training because we want to improve our health, and we're also doing it to improve our cardio so we can play pickleball, we would want to look at an energy system that matches the sport requirements. So let's say pickleball, you might be kind of standing there for a moment, waiting for your, your the ball to come to your side of the court. You might do a little sprint, hit the ball, come back. The ball will come back to you, and it might be at the same spot you are, so you don't really need to move, and you can just hit the ball again. So it's this mixture of like the anaerobic, and glycolytic system kind of coming on and off. And it's kind of what Tanya described where her Fitbit was saying that she's using some fat burning zone and some cardio zone, different words for the same concept we're describing. So it's a little bit of this kind of like resting movement part and then like a cardio effort part. So if we are training cardio for a specific sport, we wanna match up the cardio training for that sport. If we're just doing it for life, we're trying to match it to life where we could just do walking as our cardio. So when it comes to, is it going to be effective? It really depends on your definition of cardio. I would also say that some cardio training is probably better than, than nothing in most cases. You know, if we're, if we're doing like six minutes of like a little hit workout to try to improve our cardio, yeah, okay. We can get our steps in and that gets us a good, good health outcomes. We're doing a little bit more, okay, sure. It's probably like not a terrible idea. Sound, sounds really nice in, in practice. Only if you want to do it. I would say there's not really a need to do it. And there is always that question of, all right, is it starting to interfere with what we're trying to achieve? If you're about to step on stage and you want to be the best bodybuilder in the world, you're, you're coach Nick about to do her competition, trying to add in a little six minute hit cardio might take away from what you're trying to achieve in the gym when you're trying to lift weights. So let's say myself, um, I'm in the gym four days a week. 
and I don't do any formal cardio. I just focus on my step count. And if I was to try to introduce six minute workout, that one, I'll probably still be tired from the gym session I did, but then it'll probably affect my, my next training session. So we just need to ask those questions. Of course, is it going to be helpful, especially if we want to do it every day? That's probably the hard part. I team, final question here, a little bit of a longer one. Let's go through it. So question number three comes from Rochelle. Uh, Rochelle listens to this podcast and she goes, hi, coach Steve. Hey, doing Rochelle. Um, the little bit of a summary here, it was, uh, I feel a little bit torn. I want to achieve my physique goals and I feel like I need to build muscle and lose fat to finally arrive at that place. And that's totally true. We all feel that way where we all want to build muscle. We all want to burn fat so we can develop our physique. And she goes, um, I'm ready to go into a surplus and focus on building muscle is what she says. I love big audacious goals and figure I'm going to do this weight training anyway. I love it. So let's put on, let's put some big goals up on the board and work towards it over the next 12 months to two years and build out the best muscular physique I can. I've never deliberately gone into a surplus and focus on gaining muscle. So this is a bit of a learning time. I know you talk about periodic training and cycles of building muscle versus weight loss. What would you recommend in terms of an ideal time frame to put on these cycles just so I can build it out loosely in my mind? And what is the rate of weight gain am I looking forward to achieve during a build phase? I know you talked about it on podcasts before, um, but I was always focused on the weight loss part. Okay, so yes, it's true. Um, I have spoken about it on different podcasts in the past, but we're gonna do a little bit of a super summary as well. So talking about what she's trying to achieve, she's trying to develop her physique. Now, when we're developing our physique, we can uh, try to get the best of both worlds. We're trying to build muscle and burn fat at the same time. But what tends to happen is when we're doing both at the same time, we kind of uh, half-ass both things. So we don't get, we get half the result. It's kind of like if we're trying to learn, you know, two languages at the same time, two very different languages, maybe like Mandarin and German. So if we're trying to learn those two different languages at the same time, if we did that for 12 months, we would be able to learn a few words, maybe, uh, say a few phrases, maybe a little bit conversational. Um, but what would be better is if we focused on one language for six months and then another language for six months. So if you focus on German for six months and then Mandarin for six months, you might find you get more proficient at German, more proficient at Mandarin over that 12 month period, rather than trying to do both at the same time where they kind of conflict. Within building muscle and losing fat, they require two different nutritional goals. So building muscle requires a slight surplus and then losing fat requires a slight deficit. And what I'm referring to is a surplus of energy versus a deficit of energy. And when we think about building muscle, we're trying to add mass to our body. So I'm currently 100 kilos. If I want to build muscle, I would want to be, you know, 101 kilos or 102 kilos. So I can't make matter out of nothing. I need to consume that matter so I can get bigger. So I need excess. So more than what it takes for me to move around, I need more so I can get bigger versus if I was losing weight, I'm trying to lose mass. So I would need to consume less energy than I require. So we find ourselves in this like loophole of, oh, I'm trying to build muscle, but I don't want to gain weight. Oh, well, you're, you're trying to, you know, grow your bank account, but you don't want to see the, you don't want to see the number go up. You know, you're trying to build more muscle, but you don't want to get any heavier or any more mass on you. It, it's a constraining thing. It, does, it doesn't make sense. So what is really strategic is we focus on a weight gaining phase or a muscle building phase, and then we move into a weight loss phase. 
And we see this in gym culture where people say, hey, bro, are you cutting or shredding or are you building or massing? You know, we use words like this. And what tends to happen is people will go through a phase where they're cutting or shredding or losing weight and they'll go through a, a phase of gaining or um, building um, and we would phase this out usually through a weight loss phase coming into summer because we want to look good, take the tops off for, for some time and then go through that bulk through winter time. That's what tends to, tends to happen. And then it usually looks like maybe like kind of six month cycles. What can we do to make it more strategic? Well, in terms of weight loss, we want to be losing weight for a minimum of six weeks because if we do anything less than six weeks. You know, if we went for a month, okay, sure. But if we did a weight loss, strategy for two weeks, a week, we might not even see any results in that time. It might take a week or two just to kind of implement that strategy, our body to adjust to it before we actually notice any significant changes. Then on the longer side, if we're dieting for more than you know 12 weeks or so, so we're looking at three months, um, we start to face the negative effects of dieting. So we start to have mood swings, we start to have some decrease in energy, we start to have decreases in performance, we're at a higher risk of losing muscle mass. So usually around that 12 week mark is when we should be cutting the diet. We define a weight loss strategy as losing body weight at a rate of 0.5 to 1% of your body weight per week. So if I'm about 100 kilos, I would be wanting to lose about between 500 grams and a kilo every week for six to 12 weeks. So over that six to 12 week period, I could be losing anywhere from uh, 3% of my body weight if I was going for six weeks, um, maybe 6% if I was going for six weeks, or on the higher end, maybe like six to 12% of my body weight. So, you know, anywhere between like five to 10% of my body weight might be um, a target I aim for over that three month period. So I might be losing five to 10 kilos because I'm about hundred kilos over that three month period if I was successfully in a weight loss diet. If I was much lighter in weight, let's say 50 kilos, if I'm trying to lose five to 10% of my body weight, that might only look like, you know, two to five kilos of my body weight. So it's all relative. Now, if we're on a surplus, if we're on a building phase, we want to do things a little bit differently, but follow kind of similar frameworks. So in terms of duration, again, we're going to be going for a minimum of six weeks. Yeah, you could be going for about four weeks just to make it around one month, but anything shorter than that is not significant enough to actually grow some muscle. So if you do, if you committed to a weight, loss, a weight gain phase for one, one week or two weeks, you're not going to see any significant changes. But if we go for, you know, at least that like four, six week mark, then we actually start to see some gains. And then on the higher end, when we're going for upwards of about uh, 18 weeks or so, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit longer, depending on the rate of weight gain and then how we're feeling, you know, physically, emotionally, psychologically. Because as we start to gain weight, we might feel a bit different in our clothes, might be feeling differently the way we look at ourselves and we want to start to lose, lose some weight there. The rate of weight gain should be between 0.5 to 1% of our body weight per month. So in contrast, 0.5 to 1% of our body weight per week for weight loss versus 0.5 to 1% of our body weight gain for, per month um, for our weight gaining phases. So if we're on that higher end of weight gain, 1% of our body weight, and we're going for, let's say, six, maybe a little more, 24 weeks, so we're looking at about six months, 1%, we're gaining about 5% of our body weight, 6% of our body weight over like a six month period. So me going from 100 to 105 kilos, 5% 5 gain. Um, and relative, that's that's not that much, right? Um, 
And what we would then do after that five, six month period of maybe five, 6% increase in body mass, we would then go through a weight loss phase for let's say a month where we would lose 0.5 to 1% per week. So we could be losing two to 4% of our body weight. So I might gain five kilos, go to 105 kilos and then reduce a few percentage points. So I might end up at that, you know, 102, 103 kilo mark and I've successfully lost a few percentage points as I've gained. And then at the end of the day, I'm up, you know, one, two kilos from my original starting point. And I might not have been able to do that over that six month period or so. If I tried to do both at the same time, oh, I might've been able to gain a couple of hundred grams of muscle here or there without actually giving my body enough energy to grow. Now, when we look at very recent research, as in just a few days ago, a new paper out by Eric Helms, and if you don't follow Eric Helms, go follow Eric Helms, one of my um, favorite influences in the fitness and health space. Very intelligent guy, very well spoken and articulate, um, and go listen to the Iron Cult, uh, Iron Culture podcast, <laughs> I call themselves the Iron Cultists, um, where he speaks a lot about the research that he's doing. He writes for Mass with his monthly application of sports science, really clever guy. Go. His new paper by Eric Helms looked at the um, rate of weight gain and its effects on size and muscle growth. And the main takeaway was if you were gaining one to 2% of your body weight per month, it's likely that um, a lot of that is fat. So previous culture of, you know, doing dirty bulks and I want to have, you know, 5,000 calories per day and try to gain as much mass as I can, taking weight gainers and things like that is ultimately just adding some body fats to your body rather than building muscle. So if you are inclined to want to do a bit of a kind of quote, dirty bulk and try to gain as much mass as you can, if you're gaining more than one to 2% of your body weight per month, a lot of that is likely body fat. So we're trying to uh, increase by 0.5 to 1% per month. Now this can be very small. So we face problems if you want to weigh yourself once a week, because that one measurement could be skewed by how much food you're having, how much water you're consuming, how much um, gut residue is inside your, your uh, digestive system. Um, so what is better is if you were weighing yourself multiple times throughout the week, creating a weekly average and then comparing that weekly average from week to week so you can stay on track. So in terms of the big picture, what you might do is go through a weight gain phase, let's say in round numbers, two to five months, a little bit shorter than that might face some problems. If it was like one month or so, you could get away with it, but you might not see any, anything significant. So if we're looking at a 12 month period, you might go through uh, these two to five months of a weight gain. So let's go like five months of weight gaining. Then you might do one month of a weight loss phase that rounds out to six months. So we've gained, let's say 5% of our body weight. We then reduce any excess body fat that we have over that month period. And then we transition back into a weight gain phase, maybe that kind of four months or so. And then you finish off the year with a two month weight loss phase. And by the end of it, you might find that you've developed a really well-rounded physique. You've allowed yourself enough, enough energy to improve your execution on certain techniques, get stronger on certain lifts, increase the volume of certain lifts. Um, and then when you go through that weight loss phase at the very end, that last two months, might find that you're able to lose a lot of body fat, maintain a lot of muscle, and then have a brand new physique over this 12 month period. So that would be a strategic way to map out, you know, 12 months of training. Uh, and if we were to plug in something like the rise method, you were able to do, let's say one, two or three 
six-week blocks of building muscle and then a six-week block of weight loss, you know, that takes us into four six-week blocks. That might be a strategic way that you build some muscle and then lose some weight um, then really develop your physique in the long term. Now, when it comes to developing our physique and putting on weight, it can be a daunting experience, can be a bit of a mindset shift. But remember, it is a very short-term thing and it's not a really massive drastic thing you know a few percentage points of body weight increases isn't huge um and if we think of ourselves we're all adults and we've all committed to things that um may result in a short-term loss for a long-term gain and that could be things like oh i'm staying back late at work so i can get a promotion i'm going back to school to upskill so i can get a new job um, i'm trying to go without so i can save money so i can go on holiday so we've all gone through a state of okay this isn't enjoyable right now, but the long-term gain is for the benefit. And this is the same as physique development. If your drive to develop your physique is so high, these are the things that we need to do, where we go through a period of being uncomfortable, a, a period of uh, short-term loss, so that we can get a long-term gain. Team, I just want to wrap up this podcast by highlighting our all-stars for the week. So the first one we've highlighted already, we have Tanya Kortik. Tanya's been really active on places like our forum and the Facebook group and posting lots of before and afters. So Tanya kicking goals. We have Lyndall Brown really active on the weekly check-in, sharing her story there. So thank you, Lyndall, for sharing that there. Melissa, again, posting lots of um, before and after photos. That's Melissa Crowther, who is doing an amazing job over this last eight-week period. And we're excited to see what she can do at the very end of the Rise Method Challenge. And finally, we have Trisha Bell and Tracy Daunt. Don't? Don't? D-O-H-N-T, both really active on the weekly check-ins. Uh, Trisha posting a lot, sharing her experience with the RISE method being something that is long-term, a bit of a mindset shift where she's not comparing herself with others in terms of images, focusing on her fitness journey. So Trisha, congratulations. And Tracy, yes, really active in the weekly check-ins, kicking goals, love and life. So thank you to our all-stars this week. It's not too late for you to be an all-star. All you need to do is show us what you're up to for the week. Maybe you are training. Maybe you post a few videos of yourself training. Maybe you're posting a few photos of the food that you're eating. Maybe you're doing the weekly check-ins. Maybe you're asking questions on the forum. Maybe you're joining on, on in the social hub in the members area. Let us know what you're up to. You might be the all-star for next week. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll catch you next week where we might have Coach Nick back. See you then, team.